Hello, this podcast is sponsored by Now Alchemy. Now Alchemy is an amazing company that has formulated the most powerful substance in our body that was taken way back in the Egyptian era known as the food of the gods. Not only does it bring in balance, happiness, and increase your intuition, it decalcifies your pineal gland, which opens up your third eye and increases your light body, allowing your consciousness and your awareness to be open and aware of everything that is going on. The high-level mineral source, which we need today on our planet, is so important. With the fact that the earth itself has been overturned so many times with all of the farming industries, that we do not have access to the rich ormus that is available in this planet. And thanks to now alchemy, we do. We now have the sustenance that our body needs that is brought in from the Himalayan mountains and the Dead Sea. Ormus, which is powerful energy source that moves through your body and brings together a whole synthesis of information to every part of your body. By bringing this mineral source, you are nourishing your body at a cellular level. I love the company for what it stands for and its ethics. And it has been a sponsor of Ancient Wisdom Today podcast since the beginning. And that's why I always ask the tribe to support the sponsors who are sponsoring this show because I go through each of the sponsors with strong ethics and integrity to make sure that whatever they are bringing forth is in align to the planet and into you and for all of us so that we can grow and have health and wellness in our lives. Ormus's company spends a lot of time with advanced scientists, naturopaths, and doctors and herbalists to formulate a sourcing technique that brings in the highest quality of organic ingredients from the most mysterious and desolate countries in order to bring the magic in the bottle, which is Ormus. Now Alchemy is not just for health and wellness community, but for all people seeking to become their greatest version of themselves. And I've been taking this product for many months, and it has been such an addition to my shamanic love that I bring to the world. And how I bring love into the lives of people is by keeping myself healthy and happy and lifted and shifted. By bringing the highest source of minerals in my body, I am able to hold a high vibration of energy and light when doing healing work or when I'm speaking to large groups of people and when I'm here lit and doing Ancient Wisdom Today podcasts. So I invite you to experience the amazingness of Ormus. They have so many powerful selections that you can choose from, from 24 karat gold Ormus to Shilajit to nano-enhanced CBD to Elysium, each bringing a different blend of energy to your body. And I honestly say that this company is really changing the lives of people. Ever since I've mentioned them and shared them with all of the people in the tribe, I've been getting letters and letters of people's lives that have been changing. And not to mention the fact that those who have had suffered so many times from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, confusion, fog brain, and all of these other symptoms that have been plaguing us because of the onslaught of aggressive energies on our planet, by taking Ormus, these things are cleared, neutralized, and allowing you to have more balance and groundedness in who you are, as well as enhancing your mind so that you're able to think clearly and have a stronger focus. You can get Ormus by contacting www.nowalchemy.com. That's www.nowalchemy.com. And if you use the code shaman you'll get 11 percent off every purchase you make i'm so happy tribe that we are putting beautiful things in our body because putting beautiful things in our body is putting beautiful things in our mind and our spirit and that allows us to shine and radiate our truth in this world as leaders i love you enjoy the share Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years, and with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek is a third-generation shaman, an evolutionary innovator, and a women's empowerment leader. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. 
we're sharing ancient knowledge in modern times in order to put the power back in people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. Hello, tribe. I'm so excited to share with you another tribal member who is a part of our tribe, who sent in and wrote a song uh, for the tribe um, about the love that I have for you and the love that we have for each other. And this has been created by Mark Mills, who wrote the song and and the music to give to the tribe. And so enjoy and experience Mark Mills. And if you want to follow Mark Mills on Instagram, you can easily get to Mark Mills on Instagram through his Instagram handle, which is space dada. That's at Space Dada. So enjoy, tribe, and I love you. You know I want to live your spirit up I want you to know that I love you If you fall down I'm here to help you up And if you need someone then I got your back I won't stress on you You know I wanna lift your spirit up I want you to know that I love you If you fall down I'm here to help you up And if you need someone then I got your back I won't stress on you Lately I've been thinking What's it like to be living with me Do I speak my love straight to you Am I filling up your self-esteem Taking off some pressure So you enjoy your time I live to see you smiling And sleeping sound at night What am I? If not by your side And while I'm away Just know Spirit up I want you to know that I love you If you fall down I'm here to help you up And if you need someone then I got your back I won't stress on you You know I wanna lift your spirit up I want you to know that I love you Someone then I got your back I won't stress on you If you fall down 
over And if you need someone then I got your back I won't stress on you Tribe. So if you're interested in bringing a poem or a song or something you would like to share with the other tribal members, perhaps words of encouragement or anything that you feel you want to share that is your material and that you've created for the tribe, you can do so by sending it to sam, as S-A-M, at shamanduric.com. I think it's important for us to let the other tribal members know the love that we have for them. And thank you. I think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to create community. So I look forward to it. Thank you. Hello, beautiful tribe, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. And if anyone hasn't told you how much you are loved, valued, seen, and just appreciated for being on this planet, let me be the first. I, I'm so happy that all of us made it here to Earth to share our gifts and our love, our creativity, our innovation and everything, because that's what the tribe is about. It's about thriving. It's about living. It's about giving. It's about sharing. It's about nurturing. It's about caring. And it's about recognizing each other as leaders to bring legacy here on Earth. So I just want to thank you and always let you know that I love you. I'm super, super happy today because uh, I have one of my amazing friends uh, that I've been friends with for years who is just a dear heart uh, and just a wonderful person inside and out. And, you know, and even though she's an actress and she's an activist and, you know, she's a humanitarian and she's out there making a difference in the world and really bringing it around so that millennials and a lot of young teenagers and people who are following her and, and, and you know, watching her journey can learn and evolve. A lot of times she spends placing pictures um, of her trips to Africa and places in Indonesia and all these things. You know, there's nothing greater than seeing someone who's already in that, that life as an actress, but she's not just, I'm an actress and I'm out there to make films and movies and television shows, that I'm out there to share my life in a way that makes a difference. And that's why she's with us today on Ancient Wisdom Today podcast, because she is my heart, she's my soul, and I'm so happy to have her in the studios is the beautiful and amazing queen nina dobrev welcome to the show hi oh <laughs> that was so sweet <laughs> i'm gonna keep you <laughs> that, <laughs> that made me feel really good <laughs> yeah i mean that's the truth you know and that's what this is all about it's about keeping the truth and just keeping it real you know so, you know what, I want to just go right into, um, what's it like, like when you, when did you wake up and say, Hey, I want to, I want to, you know, express myself and become an actress. What age was that? How did it come about for you? I didn't really have the traditional story or approach to, 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 to being where I am today. Um, a lot of people say that they know immediately when at a certain age that this is what I want to do. And it's usually really young. I didn't necessarily know that acting was a career path or that it was something that I wanted to do. And it wasn't something that I was too and knew immediately. I knew that I loved to perform and started as early as living room sessions with my family and my cousins and my friends and create weird characters and um, whether the performing might have been the characters or it might have been dancing or jumping or scaring people. Like, I was just a very rambunctious, annoying <laughs> presence, you know? And, and my parents put me in a lot of community classes and like free programs, probably to get rid of me <laughs> for a few hours every day because they couldn't handle all the energy. I love it. But yeah, dancing. And performing in that way transitioned into wanting to try theater and 
go to a performing arts high school. And so it wasn't until I was in high school and was doing it a little bit more. Um, I mean, I obviously had to audition to join the high school because it wasn't like it was a program that you had to be accepted into. I auditioned for that, got in, and then they brought a a coach, like a speaker to one of the classes. His name was Dean Armstrong. And Dean was talking to us about on-camera acting and the differences between theater, which is what we were doing at the time, and on-camera acting. And he had a on-camera acting school downtown Toronto, which was like a 30, 45-minute drive from where my high school was. And it piqued my interest, and I wanted to take a class to learn more about it. And from... There, I started studying simultaneously with Dean for camera and then theater in high school. Which do you prefer? I haven't done theater in a very long time. I Maybe because I haven't done it in a very long time, I I have been itching to go back to that medium. And the sitcom that I'm on right now is closer to that medium because it is in front of a live audience. You um, are basically putting on a little play every week that's different and i'd love for you to come yeah i tried to make it last time but i had to go to costa rica it's all good but i will i'm gonna gonna drag the team and we're gonna come and we're not gonna let you know yeah that's yeah that's the other thing i I never want to know when people are visiting me because it makes me more nervous to know that i have friends in the audience but yeah i i do but there was a moment in that transition period when i was taking the classes with Dean and learning about the on-camera process, I I remember being on set for the first time. I think it was a commercial shoot or something, and it was I don't even, I don't think I had lines. I don't think it was the tiniest little bit part, but I remember the feeling of being on set and doing this for the first time and feeling something ignite within me. And it was different than anything I'd felt so far in my life, but it just felt right. It felt like it was fulfilling and I wanted it more. Almost like a drug, I guess. Mm. When you think about it, and you try something for the first time, you're like, ooh, I don't yeah. know what this is, but I want more of it. Um, and so I went home that day and pulled my mom aside and I was excited and I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And I think she was terrified when I told her that. She was, I think she thought it was going to be a hobby that I'd grow out of, but that's when I sort of made the decision that this is what I would pour my energy and time and effort into pursuing. So that's that was the first tangible moment that I can remember. I but love that. until that point it was just a general sense of of artistry that I wanted that I just felt a love for, but I didn't know that it could be a career path. When you you know what I call that, I call that addicted passion. You know, because that's how I knew that I was actually ready to really step forth and be the shaman. It's like, it's like you get that in life. It's like you could go through life and then you do something and then you feel it. And it becomes like you said, like this drug, like, Ooh, I want to do again. Ooh, I want to feel that again. And you don't really care if you're making money or if you're doing anything. It's just, I just want to do that. Exactly. Yeah. It's never been about money for me. It's never. um, And and it's so funny because I'll have debates with so many people, peers and coworkers and friends that are in the industry that I'm in and they're so driven by money and like, how can I get this deal that's better? And how can I get this multi-million blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, if you do what you love, the money will come. Mm -hmm. If you make decisions based on money, it will eventually dry up. And so it's never been about that for me. I'm so lucky that I've been able to make a career out of the thing that I love and that that it can sustain my 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 life too and my choices. And at what point um, when you were in that addicted passion, did you, because there's a point they say that when you're in that addicted passion, you, you hit this point of pure devotion and that's when everything actually starts showing up in your life. At what point did you feel like, wow, like this, this, like everything that's going to happen to me is happening right now in my life because you've actually just, you know, I call it paying your dues, Mm. right? You pay your dues to your heart, to your truth. And then all of a sudden, all these rewards come. At what point did you feel that the reward came for you that you were like, oh my God, like this is uh, a career now? I think in that first year, it's hard in our industry to like, 
because as an artist, you're almost never fulfilled and you're always Ooh, wanting that's to. that's interesting. Yeah. Really? There's no, so there's no real fulfillment that comes? I mean, there, there, there is, but it's like you set a benchmark or a goal that you want to achieve. And then as soon as you get there, you, you get greedy and you want something else and then something else. And it's especially in, I mean, I think any industry really, um, People in Wall Street talk about this too, how like you want to become a millionaire. And as soon as you become a millionaire, you want to become a billionaire. And then as soon as you want to become a billionaire, you want to become Bill Gates. Right. <laughs> like it's you, I wanted to create characters. And then when I created one character and did drama, I decided I wanted to tackle comedy. And now I'm doing comedy. And now I want to do a period piece and an action. Like there's, you just, there's so many layers to it. I'd love to see you in a period piece because those are my favorites. You know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm developing a couple right now. I'd like um, to see you do some like producing and writing and directing of your own. That's what I see. You know me. Yeah. You know, I'm always like, and I see this and I see that. <laughs> I mean, I already, I've, I've been producing for the last few years. We're in development on a couple of really exciting projects at various stages of development. Um, but producing just takes years and it's it's a long, slow process that um that is ultimately more gratifying when it does happen because you've poured so much heart into it and so much effort and time but it it's different than acting because in acting i mean i'll get i could get a call tomorrow about a project and then be on set on monday so it's for those of you listening it's thursday right now (laughs) so i could get a call about something on a friday and then be on set on monday whereas the people that have produced that project that gave me this job may have been working on this for 10 years <laughs> and I'm the last step of the process as an actor. So this, these other things that I'm producing right now have been the years in the making and who knows if it, we might go into production next week, we might go in another three years. It's just, it's a different process, but I love that process because I feel like I have control over what I'm doing I'll be in the editing room. I will have control of the final product. Whereas as an actor, you're kind of like a like a pawn. Mm. Somebody else takes you, they put you in it. And then once you're the last day of shooting, you don't get any say or any collaborative. You're not a part of that process at all until you go to the premiere and watch the movie. And it could be great or it could be terrible and you have no control over that. So it has, it, it has made it more exciting to, to be a part of the process from the inception until the completion. That's, yeah, I think that's a beautiful, I think that's the journey of it. It it sounds really nice because it's kind of like your, it's like the feeling that I get when I work in a garden, you know, you plant a seed and you get to nurture it and then you watch it, you know, you watch this thing grow. And I feel that way a lot, you know, when dealing with people and the tribe, it's like, you know, I give, I, I can drop a seed of knowledge or wisdom in someone and then I sit back and I wait and then I get messages from them throughout the year. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, all these things have changed. I'm like, oh, they've blossomed. It's this beautiful mm, thing. So I love that. So I'm really excited about that. So, so, okay. So you're in that space and you're in that world. Do you, do you find like remembering lines? These are my questions, you know, like remembering lines and all these things. Cause first of all, I just want to let you know, I think you're an amazing actress. I love you. Thank you for saying that. And um, and I don't really think a lot of people are amazing actresses. <laughs> <laughs> but what I love about you is that you're very um, you 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 slide in very easily into your characters and what you're doing. You're fully committed, and you know I literally I we say in shamanism, an actress or an actor, they're shapeshifters. We call them shapeshifters. They're people who can take the spirit in the spirit world, bring it into their body and become it fully. And that's oh, what, wow. made, yeah. And that's also the other, the downside of it is because that's also what causes actors and actresses to lose themselves because they don't clean out that energy. They don't go work with a shaman or someone who knows how to pull those energies out of their body. So then it just compacts and compacts and compacts. And before you know it, they're having health problems, they're stressed out, they're going to drugs, they're going to alcohol, they're looking for, you know, buying things that they don't need to buy to, to like fill in something they don't understand what's happening to them inside. And so I've been explaining this a lot with to a lot of uh, friends of mine who are actors and actresses and i think it's important because um you're not just reading lines you're you're tapping into some powerful universal energies and i think there's a point where that has to be more known in hollywood 
because there's a, like, we've lost so many beautiful people. I don't want to start crying, but like, and I said to myself, if I could get to them, if I had time with them, I could have, I could have reverted that whole thing. But because they were compacted with so much stuff going internally, it revs up your emotions and it really compacts you inward. And so it makes you feel like you're suffocating onto your own energy. And then you're doing another job and then you're doing another job. And then you're dealing with the media and you're dealing with people in your face. And then you're dealing with people who want your attention and who think they know you. And that deals with a lot of stress as well, too. Do you find, have you come into feeling any of these things, like any kind of pressure that you feel from like the public or from fans or from people who you feel like you want to meet some some obligation to make everyone happy, but you just can't? Oh, that's a big one for sure. Yeah. Wow. That, what, everything you just described was, felt very, it, it was very close to home. It is, it is a lot of pressure. It's all positive. It's all really good things happening. But yeah, you, you, you nailed it on the head. Every project you do, you sort of take on, you have baggage that you acquire as you're in life. And then you keep your character's baggage too. Right. So that must <laughs> Bag of spirits that are just like, hey, let me out, let me out. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But then... Also, yeah, the anonymity aspect is challenging too because the more you work, the more people know you, but at the same time, you you sort of have to, in order to become a new character, you that you need to be a blank slate. Right. And then I, I always, whenever I meet somebody on the street, if somebody comes up to me, I'll always, in my initial instinct is, Oh shoot! I don't remember who what their name is. Like I, I know this person when they walk up to me, like Nina, hi. I'm like, oh shit, how do I know this person? What's the name? What's the name? What's the name? What's the name? And then I realize that I, I don't know them. I just I've been in their living room for six years on television. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a weird. I I also get a little uncomfortable by people knowing more about me than I know about them. Mm. I wish when I had a conversation with someone that I could. And and that's not the case with everybody. It's not like everybody knows me, but, um, but I don't know. I, when I meet somebody for the first time, I want us to get to know each other and for, to ask each other questions and vice versa. And I feel like they have a, a head start, and that's not fair. Right. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, there's there's definitely. And that's an interesting thing that you just said too, because uh, we have a mutual friend who's an actor, and uh, he said to me he was making a comment. He goes, you know what the difference is, Dirk, between you and I? And I go, what? He goes, so when people meet me and want autographs for me or whatever, he's like, they meet me, but they know my character that I've played in films and things of this nature. But when they meet you, you're the shaman. And so they, what they learn about you is the real, like what they learn about you. Right. And that's why I think a lot of people are really, they say that people are um, disappointed when they meet their idols in the acting world because they are they have expectations for what this person is going to be like mm-hmm. but that person wasn't themselves they were playing character so i mean let me i, I don't i'm trying I want to think of an example like let's but this is not somebody that yeah. we're friends with or know or, yeah. or maybe you do i don't know but let's say robert Downey jr as tony stark for example yeah they might expect that that sort of like charisma and that ism and that he's super smart and he's got all these like qualities in the film. And when they meet Robert, maybe he is like that. I don't know, but he's not Tony Stark and you're not going to get that exact same experience. He's just a regular person. Who's like and trying deeply to live. spiritual too and loves crystals. Oh, so you do work with him. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> But the, yeah, exactly. You know, but the thing is, is that at the same time, you know, and that I think that can become a difficulty as well because when you're dealing with memorying lines, because I'll honestly be honest, but there are times where I've spoken with you and it's four o'clock in the morning and you're just getting to you know to your set and you're walking into the makeup room and like and I'll be we'll be texting back and forth and I'll just be like God her dedication is crazy because sometimes I'm just like I'm I'm coming back from an event um, that I was in beef at one time and I was at a party and I came back and I sent you a message. <laughs> And you were like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting into the set. I'm like, I'm coming home to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And like me and my niece, Alex, are just getting back from this party. Uh, But the thing is, it's like your dedication. It's a a job. 
It really is. Like you're going in, you're memorizing lines, you're going in, you're going to set, you're getting up early in the morning. You have to really make sure you're getting enough sleep. There's a lot that goes into it. And then you have people who are coming on you who are thinking that they know you and putting all these expectations of what they think you should be. So you also have to manage that as well. Yeah, I think more than anything, it's an energetic thing. Yeah, of course. I think it's levels of energy. And there's most people, let's say you have an accounting job, you go to work, you clock in at 9 a.m., you're putting all of your energy into that, into like talking to your coworkers and your boss and your work and whatever it might be until 5 p.m. and you clock out and you go home and you can sort of let go of that and shift gears. Whereas I put 150% into getting to work and memorizing the lines and talking to everybody. And that's like, there's 150 people on set. So all those people are like taking your energy and you're giving energy and taking it from them too. But there's just, it's a high energy environment. And then when I go home from that, if I go to the grocery store and then I'm, I don't get to shut off after I clock out because my persona, whether I'm at, on set or at home, like everybody. And it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's just having to It's energy. put that energy out at a high level 24 hours a day can be exhausting. And that's why, like you said, it's important to find time to rest. And I've found that the older I get, the more I have turned into a hermit (laughs) in the time that I have off. I, try to preserve my energy by going home and cooking and sleeping and being alone or being with my dog or just like giving my body that time to recharge in a way that when I was younger, I couldn't understand how to manage that. Yeah. And then I would burn out and and I still find my, like I still burn out a lot now, but I'm trying to figure, find a balance. Yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a lot to to deal with. I think. What would you say um, your spirituality? What do you what do you think about spirituality? What does spirituality mean to you these days? These days, or I like it for you. What is that? What is because it mean? I, I will tell you that before I met you, <laughs> nothing. Probably not a lot. Yeah, I, I was always a very skeptical, sort of scientific based. If I can't, if I can't tangibly see it and understand it that way, then then it doesn't. Like I didn't believe in it for the longest time. In the last few years, since I met you, especially, and then meeting you, open like made me like a little more open. And then it opened the door to to work with other energy healers and 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 sort of accept that world. And since I started doing this. I have felt such a huge difference and a huge change in in my understanding for the world. And I really do feel, like I know that when I walk into a room, if there's somebody in the room that either I know or I don't know, and if they have if they've had a bad day or like their boyfriend broke up with them or like something happened that they're not happy about, I walk into a room and I can feel it, even if they don't say anything. Even if they don't look at me, if they have their back towards me, I can just feel it. That's the power of energy. And that's the power of spirituality and and empathy. And it's all energy and energy is all is connected. Whether we're physically touching or not, it's still connected to us. And I if by the way, the way I'm talking right now, if I had heard this recording of myself speaking four years ago. I would have thought, who's that crazy lady? (laughs) But it's so funny how, like... (laughs) (laughs) Throw her in a (laughs) jail cell. Put her in the... Call the paddy wagon. (laughs) Yeah, something's (laughs) wrong. The cuckoo bin to come and get her. But it's funny because, like, it's funny how one experience or just trying it out or being open to it can really shift your whole perception of everything you just have to have an open mind do you think that when we first met um we met at uh, brad's uh birthday yeah yeah and um and it was hard to to even now i'm having a hard time explaining it and people had tried to explain it to me in the past as well and i that's probably why i didn't gravitate towards it because it didn't make sense or i didn't understand it 
And even you, I remember when we met you, the first thing we said was, what is a shaman? What do you do? Like, explain that to us. And you said, you're like, I can't explain it. I can show you. Yeah. And that's when you pulled us into another room and laid me down and sort of started working on me. And, and that's when, like, it, it, you you changed me. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as we do in Indiana Jones, you too will be a true believer, Dr. Jones. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> I know, and it's funny because Gwyneth was watching and she's like, you did it to them. She goes, you did it. Because <laughs> she remembers what had happened to her with me and she was like watching the whole thing, just laughing in the kitchen. Oh my God. Yeah, there was like three of us that were extremely skeptical. We're like, what? is this person and what is he doing? We don't get it. And then you, you literally, all of us walked out of the room like we'd seen, not a ghost, I don't want to say ghost because ghosts are, uh, that that word is a negative connotation. Yes. But it's, we just, we were both, we were all like in shock <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> right. Yeah. And isn't it so interesting how Brad put us on the table next to each other and he even said at the dinner, he was like, I put you to next to the people that you're supposed to be in each other's lives. And he was right. Yeah, was, how did he know that? Brad, you know, when I first met Brad, he like Gwyneth was like, "Oh, you're gonna you're gonna meet this guy that I'm you know I'm dating and everything." And when he walked in the room, he looked at me and he goes, "I remember you from another lifetime." Like we connected like that. It was just like boom. Whoa. Yeah, and he we just held each other, and so he, Brad has this other side to him. I understand why he does these types of films, that are, these TV shows that he does because he, how he writes so well. It's like he's, he has this other side to him that is so deep. So when he said that, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to trust him because I know I know that side of him. So then I just let it be. I didn't put any energy into it. I'm just eating my food, you know, and just kind of listening and listening to everyone and whatever. And then all of a sudden we connected. Wow. Yeah. Go Brad. Yeah. And I didn't know much about you. And then actually when we, we became more friends, I started to do, learn more about you. And uh, I was- Yeah, I was we, a last minute invite to that party. I wasn't even supposed to be there. See? <laughs> Look at that. And now <laughs> we're in each other's lives. working its little magic. Yeah. <laughs> but I believe also to the, the energy that you're talking about, because there's times where I would be in Turkey and I could feel you. Like I would wake up in the morning and like you would be in my dream talking to me, telling me everything that's going on. And then I'd wake up and your spirit would be in the room saying, I need you to call me now. Like, and I would just feel your presence in the room with me. And so I'm for, like, I was in Los Angeles and you were in Europe and you could feel my energy. Mm -hmm. And then I would call you and you'd be like, that's so crazy that you're calling me right now. And then, and then it was exactly at the time that we needed to talk. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, another time that, that sort of sticks out for me is the jammy experience, the Lynx experience, my cat. Yeah. It's like a, it's a little bit of a darker turn, not dark, but like sad for me turn. And, but it was so impactful. My cat, who I'd had since I was nine, so I'd had her for like 18 years. I was very connected to this little feline, cutie, patootie, furball. And same thing. I think you texted me or called me and said, What's going on? Are you okay? And I think at the time I had, I was at the hospital or something with the cat and she wasn't doing well. And then I called you and I asked you what you thought and you like somehow went into the, into the, I don't know, I don't know what you did. You should talk on this side of I it. I went into, yeah. I, I said, went something's the, wrong. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I went into the files of this, the, where the animals, spirit, animals have different files. So I went in to just read her health first just to find out what, where the problem was, where the health problem was and so forth. Right. And at the time I didn't know what the problem was and the doctors hadn't told me what the pro problem was. And you did that. And then you came back and told me that there was stomach cancer and that there was all this stuff. And you, you broke down exactly what was wrong with her. And then maybe 30 minutes later, the doctors called and repeated the exact same thing. So you were able to find out what was wrong with my cat in Europe while I was in LA before the doctors had done their tests and it was crazy. And it was one of those things where that was just the, the beginning of it. After that, we ended up sort of talking about you like plugged into her psyche too. I, I don't know how, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast is, they, they, is they, open they, to yeah, this kind of it. They stuff. Are. <laughs> 
because again, I'm starting to hear that that car coming for me and take me to Looney Tunes. <laughs> I'm about to get admitted to a hospital <laughs> myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, you like you like tapped into her brain somehow, and. I was sitting there next to my cat while you were in Europe and we were you were you were sort of like translating what she was thinking and you kept telling me that she was sick and she was not very far from leaving this world and that I was basically with the doctors keeping her alive sort of against her will and she wanted to be here for me but she didn't really want to be here for much longer mm-hmm. and that she loved me and like it was this like beautiful moment and that's it was a really great thing for me to be able to connect with her and say goodbye and make peace with it all knowing that that's what she wanted and the this this the creepiest but best part of this whole thing is that and I had also just watched Stranger Things and in Stranger Things all the spirits communicated through the lights right and so that night that's when um uh, sadly, I, I um, had a doctor come and we had to say goodbye. And then I fell asleep afterwards because I was crying so much. I like passed out from from crying. And I woke up and went outside to my backyard to just sort of like sit there. And I looked at the, I have all these string lights hanging in my backyard. And over the past couple months, a bunch of bulbs had burned out. Random ones. Like some of them were on, but like a lot of them were out. But not turned off. They were like burnt out physically. They don't they didn't work anymore. Right. They need to be replaced. And I looked up and every single bulb was on. There was like five hundred of them and all of them were on again. It was like her spirit was there and she was telling me that she'll still be there. Mm-hmm. And then the next day they were burned down again. Mm-hmm. And then I, I called you. And even when she was with you, I said to you, she wants me to tell you everything that she remembers and the beautiful things she remembers. And she went all the way back to like your times where you were moving and like in the gas station. She said you left her toy behind. Like she was telling me everything. And, it, and these are all things that there's no way for Shaman to have known, by the way, for those of you listening. These are like random little tiny sort of isms and and bullet points that human my my like closest friends that were on these trips probably didn't even know and he was bringing them up but they were all accurate and they were accurate because my cat was talking to him through the spirits in the universe mm-hmm. excuse me guys sorry there's a car waiting outside to take me to the mental institution I'll be right back <laughs> 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 Dobrev gets admitted into passages in Malibu. <laughs> see the headlines on Us Weekly now. <laughs> but you know, she was really, she was really strong in communicating with me after she passed. She told me to look over you and that she was your guardian. And she told me um, that she was going to stay with you um, until she needed to be there for you to support you in the transition of her leaving. And then she, and I remember I called you, I was telling you, and then she told me that you have all these powers and to help you pull those powers out. And, you know, the way I looked at it, you know, when I, when we first became friends was that she was your familiar, right? And that you're this. What does that mean exactly? So a witch always has a familiar. Okay. Okay. So a witch can never be without an animal, uh, animal counterpart. So she'll when she's if there's not an animal next to her, and that's her frat friend, she can talk to you and tell things whatever. She feels that her power is weakened. Got it. And so when I first when I when I made a I made a joke to you once, and I said, I said it's so funny. I said because you played some show where there was like a girl on the show who played the witch, but you're the real one. I said because <laughs> you have a familiar and this cat is so powerful that it comes in my room and starts talking to me and telling me like that she you know that you, you know you have to you have to you know protect her because there's a lot of people who would want to like take her energy and power and that's what she used to do for you until you come into another familiar. And so I was explaining it to you one day on the phone and you're like what what is the what what is this thing what? And <laughs> 
and you're like, I'm Sounds so you're like, I'm still tripping off of everything you said. <laughs> like, and the thing was is that it's interesting because it's true. After after she stayed with you for a while, your energy realized that you needed to bring in and your next familiar, and then Maverick. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like she jumped into Maverick's body. There's like something very like energetically familiar about Maverick and and Lynx because well they're all connected because they're your familiars. Yeah, you see a fam- a, a witch needs to have her familiar. It's a type of inner essence of a spirit that moves through different animals to her time. So mm. if one animal goes, all of a sudden she gets a bird. That bird goes, she gets a cat. That cat goes, she gets a dog. It's like it's so interesting yeah and i even find that like in my day-to-day life if i'm on the street and i see an animal freak out because i love them so much yeah, i just need really to connected. be around animals <laughs> yeah especially re- talking about your uh humanitarian and also your activism uh i remember one day i was traveling in london on uh, speaking and i opened up my phone and you're swimming with sharks <laughs> <laughs> Yep, sounds about right. And what I love about you, uh, was I don't know if a lot of people know, um, what I love about Nina is that she's an adventurist, okay? The girl recently was in Africa and being charged with, a, with her girlfriends and a bunch of lions were charging them. Yep, that happened too. Um, but it's not like, they they weren't, I mean, yeah, they they got a little scary for a second, but we were in their domain and we were walking on foot, kind of like look do, go, doing a walking safari. So we were putting ourselves in their environment. So I, I don't want the takeaway from this or, oh, no, or, or anybody to think that this was not, um, that they were, that the lions are bad or that we should do anything yeah, I agree. mean towards them. It's this, I feel the same way about when I'm swimming with sharks. If there were ever to be any sort of a scenario where something happened, it's because we are in their domain. They are the apex predator and we're in their home. So we have to play by their rules. And in the countless times that I've been in the water with sharks, there's never been any kind of a scenario where I've felt in, like I was in true danger. If anything, the sharks were more scared of us. Mm. And that's the biggest thing is it's a, it's, it's a misunderstanding. People don't know that they don't, they don't really want to hang out with us. If anything, anytime I'm in the water with them, I'm like swimming, trying to chase after them because I think they're so cool. They're like, who is this crazy lady (laughs) behind us? Like, (laughs) bitch, please find your own patch of water. This is my place. Right. So. That's my biggest fear, you know. What? Sharks? Sharks and hippos. Well, hippos, yeah. I mean, all of them. Like, you're in their space. So. Hippos are actually a little bit more dangerous than sharks, in my opinion. Yeah, hippos are pretty crazy. They don't really... They're very territorial and don't like anybody else in their vibe. So a hippo will kind of charge at anything that comes near it. Whereas sharks will share as long as you don't... They kind of... Yeah, they just... they, they They won't just attack you for no reason. Right. They don't want human food. Like that, we're not. We don't taste good to them. And, and you didn't have any why, fear at all being in those waters with that shark. No, with all those sharks that I saw. No, it's amazing. It's scarier on the outside when you're in the boat looking down because you just see the fins and you just see this like the. You think of every movie that you've watched about sharks and how they portray them and how they're mean and dangerous, but when you're in the water with them and when you see how peaceful they are and how they glide and how they're not coming up to you, they're just like doing their thing. You realize that they're not, they don't care. It's amazing. And just to go back to what I was about to say with like anytime there has been any sort of attack, it's always mistaken identity. You never hear of a shark eating a person. You hear of a shark biting someone. So they bite, realize they don't like you and then leave. They don't like bite, and take another bite and then keep eating until you're gone. Because they're like, oh, human? No. Ugh. Blah. That's why whenever we're swimming with them, they say that like if a shark comes up, sometimes they'll like bump you and just like test you out and like see what you are. And if they do, if you, if you, they do come up a little bit, like 
keep your foot, keep your feet up because then you can put your fin out if they do have their mouth open. And as soon as they touch, like their teeth touch the fin, they taste plastic. And as soon as they taste plastic, they're like, oh, nope, don't want that. And they'll leave too. Like they just, they're never malicious and like they they won't come to you and, and try to eat you because they're not trying to kill you ever. This is really good information. Yeah. Just education. No, it's good education for me. You're educating me because I've always had, I mean, I grew up in Hawaii. So I have a lot of friends who, you know, were attacked by sharks as surfers, you know. Right, because they think you're seals. Right. Mistaken identity. That's what I'm saying. Like, if there ever is something, it's a mistake because they think you're something else. Not because they actually have really bad vision. They see by sonar. So their nose emits kind of like energy. They feel the energy in the water and like vibrations in the water. That's how they see. So that's another reason why mistaken identity people sometimes get attacked in shallow water near the shore because they hear the flapping of people swimming, kids swimming, um, this like the feet flapping, the hands sounds to them like a fish in the water that is injured and is flailing. So another thing that people don't know about sharks is that they will only ever attack something to eat it if it is a guaranteed kill. If they can for sure eat it, like a fish that is dying and weak or injured and weak, it is not going to swim as fast as one that is healthy. So they'll go for the injured one because it's a guaranteed kill because it takes so much of, like they always swim so slow because they're preserving energy. When they do attack, it takes so much of their energy. If they don't succeed and eat it and kill it, they might not have enough energy to go for a second kill and they might die. The shark. So The shark? The shark, yeah. Because it takes it, so much of their energy to attack something that they don't risk it unless it's a guaranteed kill. I never knew that. Yeah. So, But again, so, uh, so imagine a flailing dying fish is like, it's emitting sonar because it's flailing. Sounds like humans flapping in the water. So when they hear people people swimming, they kind of go to investigate because they think it might be a dead fish or a dying fish, sorry. Right. That's, that's, I mean, that's, of course, I mean, that's common sense from their, from their, from perspective, their perspective, perspective. Yeah, yeah, from their perspective. So you're doing a lot of humanitarian work, um, you know, a lot. And what is one of the projects you're really excited about that you've recently done or that you're engaged in? I mean... The most recent thing that yesterday, for example, we, um, a group of us got on a bus, um, and we drove down to Tijuana to the border of San Diego and Tijuana, the, the, the Mexico border. And we wanted to kind of see what was going on with the wall and with all the families that have been separated from their children and really kind of. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of hard to talk about because it's so bad. What did you see? First of all, the wall. Just crossing the border and seeing the barbed wire and seeing what, this, just like the, it, it, it feels so archaic what's happening right now. And it feels like no time has passed. We're dealing with the same issues that we've been dealing with for the last 50 years and it's like it's like no changes happen and that's so sad to me and the fact that the humanitarian issues are not even being addressed or people don't care that there are hundreds and thousands of families and children that are sleeping in tents on the floor with no cover and no bathrooms and no food is pretty disgusting and terrible. And whoa, whoa, whoa! Hold on a second. There are families sleeping in tents at the border. There's little babies. I held a four. No, sorry. I held a four-week-old baby yesterday that is currently sleeping in a tent with its mother, who had to flee and is a refugee because she was going to get killed otherwise from where she was coming from. And she was hoping to get to her family on the other side of the border and was denied access. And what what is horrifying is that the 
the government is has the capacity to see up to I, can't, I don't want to say the wrong number, but they could see up to I think four hundred people a day and assess their cases and see if they're in danger. And instead, they've created some sort of a list, like a waiting list for people, and they're only seeing ten people a day. So all those other the hundreds of people have to are waiting to see what's going to happen and it's and they're living in dangerous environments and the women are getting raped and getting kidnapped and and are put being put into human trafficking because they're sitting by the border and they're vulnerable and they, they can't defend themselves and they barely have food and they can barely feed their kids it's like it's it's scary and it's horrible and something needs to change how you know i'm so glad that you're talking about this because you know these types of things are really um dear to my heart any type of situation where humanity is not being acknowledged seen and loved is there an organization that you um are aware of that how people can uh support and bring about yeah i mean there's quite a few actually there's um for example, there is, this is about humanity. Um, there is at, like on Instagram, Border Angels Official, at Border Angels Official is another one. Uh, a good friend of mine, Elsa Marie Collins, at Elsa Marie Collins, is is running an incredible organization. She's the one who brought me down with her yesterday. There's also... There's there's so many people that are doing so many great things, like World Central Kitchen, for example, or they're feeding a lot of the families down there and they're taking their own time and energy and money to feed as many people as they can. But Border Angels Official is one of the ones that's doing a lot and they're on the forefront, but there's so many people that, that need help and there's so many more that can do something. And you just, we also can... A big way of helping out is by reaching out to your government officials and putting pressure on them to do something because they're the ones that are the policymakers and changers and they we need to get the attention to them so that something can change. And we need to sort of bombard them with attention and be annoying so that they can really take this issue seriously. Because if they saw what we saw yesterday, I know that they wouldn't just sit there. Well, I'm just sure there's so many people. I mean, that's why I'm so happy you're sharing this with the with the tribe and everyone. There's so many people in the world who don't even know about that. No, I mean, and, and the other thing is that it was sort of, of course it was out there on social media and some horrifying photos came out, but then people forget. They get too, they get too sort of distracted by their own minuscule daily problems that are, of course, everyone's problems are important, but when you see what's happening at the border and you realize that like, there's 175 women and children sleeping on the floor in some facilities that are typically the, 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 one of the, one of the shelters that we visited, because we visited quite a few, one of them has a maximum capacity of 44 uh, people that would be able to comfortably sleep on beds or whatever they have. And they had 175 humans sleeping on blankets on the floor, outside, like all over the place. At least that place was within, um, like it had, it had fences because these were, this was a women's and children's only one. Because like I said, it's, it's been an issue where a lot of women have been kidnapped well, you know, that, you know, that's interesting. This brings up a lot for me because, you know, I, I did work in Uppsala in, um, in Sweden um, and spending time at the refugee and meeting with some of the families who, you know, got were promised that they were going to get a job and have a new life, you know, if they left their country from all the horrible things that could have happened to them. And then they get to this, you know, refugee camp and they're stuck there for four years and they can't leave. Their kids can't leave. And so there's like, you know, for, lucky for me, my friend um, Alexander at the time who was running the refugee camp, um, who started it, put like a playground in for the kids. But some of the refugee camps that I've seen, there's no playground for kids. It's just oh, dirt. Oh, no. Yeah, they just had like paper and crayons. Yeah. And there's all these kids and they, and they can't really leave the camp, like you said. So they're stuck almost like prisoners in this building 
or some of them are in like a, a fenced in area and they can't leave because they might get kidnapped and they don't want to, I mean, of course they're safe within the walls, but these are children. I think these kids want to play. They want to, they want to see the world or do things and they can't, they're like, they're prisoners and they're, and they're confined. And if some the, one of the other places we went to a youth shelter where kids are there, but kids, when I, when I say kids, I mean, they're between 14 and 17 years old and they've left their scenarios or whatever their circumstances were because their parents have been killed. There's gang activity there. One of them had lost their brother and because he'd been killed on his way to get to this shelter and he doesn't know where, the, where his brother is. He knows that his parents were died because, or were, were killed, sorry, because he had seen them be brutally murdered. And this is a, a child that we're talking about. And he can't go back there because he'll get killed. And he's not been allowed to go visit and move into his, into the, his other family members who are in the U.S. because he's not allowed and the government won't let him. So he's stuck at the border of T, in Tijuana in this camp and he's not allowed to leave the camp either because he might get kidnapped or killed. It's like, it's horrifying. Yeah, it's, it's you know, that's... Imagine that life. <sighs> and, may, and maybe some people are, can imagine that now, but I I would urge people to try to get down there and if they have the means, if they can do anything to help. And, and for me, I, yeah, we can donate money and we can try to, like, we're going to... We we saw certain specific things that they needed. So, for example, one of the shelters needs a bathroom. <laughs> like these people can't be. They they need to have somewhere to like clean themselves. So we're gonna try to raise some money and like build them a bathroom and then get toys to send to the kids. Like those are all tangible things that they specifically need, and people can help out in that way. But if you can go down there and see what what's going on, and then tell more people about it or call your senators and call your, the people that are making the policies and, and the, the, if there's anything that people can do, I'd really urge them to try and help because they need as much help as they can get. Yeah. We have to really start thinking about how we're dealing with people, with the human race, because, you know, um, I've been doing a lot of work with a lot of scientists and, you know, even in my book that comes out this year, you know, I talk a lot about in a lot of my lectures about human migration. You know, you know, we have so many places in the world that are heading into desertification, they are heading into places where food source can't be developed and so many countries that are, you know, going into so much conflict that, is you just where people are, are going to be migrating and looking for a, play, a safe place, and we can't keep treating human beings like they're like you know like they're nothing. Yeah, you know. And I think that's like that's one of one of the many things that I love about you, and why I you know you and I are good friends is because you have heart. You got heart. I mean, yesterday was really hard because <laughs> when I'm pretty em- empathetic and. When I'm when I was in that like I could feel everyone's energy and feel the the suffering and the sadness everywhere and it it hurts like it hurts your soul it hurts your heart it hurts everything to feel their pain and I know they're suffering really really hard and another thing that I couldn't help but think about was the fact that I mean I myself was was a product like I I, I was one of those babies right when my parents fled Bulgaria after the wall fell to escape communism, we were refugees in Canada. So I, I was two and my mom was in her twenties and she had a little baby, me and her, and her other five-year-old son. And she was trying to find safety in a better, in a better world and a better life. And I don't know where, I would be or what would have happened to me if the Canadian government had not let us in. So it's hard to not put myself in their shoes and see all these people who are just trying to survive and find a better life for themselves. Well, that's really deep. It's really, I'm just taking a pause for a second because I just need to pause to just think about that. What you just said is so um, close to home. And um, you're such a beautiful family. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people sometimes think, oh, well, you know, the government will figure something to do about it or they'll, they'll just kind of just brush it off. Like, 
more concerned about what maca they have in their green in their green smoothie and yeah i mean they're just yeah they're it's hard for the the people that are making the decisions are sitting in their multi-million dollar homes <laughs> yeah and like they don't care because they haven't been to the border and and spoken to all these to these people that are suffering well they don't know what it's like yeah they don't understand they can't empathize they don't understand how to connect because they have lived a certain type of life. Because I have friends who are multimillionaires, and when I explain to them things, they're like, okay, and with the government will take care of it. Right. And I'm like, uh, no, it doesn't. Well, that's why I was trying to tell, say, like, people, if, if, if you have the means, if you can get down there to see it for yourself, it changes everything. You hear that tribe? Like... You got to go down there, you know, go to check them out on Instagram and and really get involved in, you know, what's going on. How are we treating human beings? You know, we're always so concerned about, you know, preserving art, preserving, you know, fashion, preserving anything that's material, but we're not thinking about the preservation of our own species. And that's something that has to change this year. And I think that we have enough knowledge and sense and ability to be able to really start looking at how we interact with each other and how we care for each other. And I think the greatest thing we can offer that makes someone a really wealthy person is not how much money you have in the bank or how cool your car is and how bling bling and how on fleek and how flossing you are. It's about how loving you are, how giving, how nurturing, how, how present you are, how real you are. So... That's really important. Nina, I just want to thank you, honey, for for being here in, in today's share. And uh, I know the tribe is very happy and very happy. I'm, I love our friendship. I love you. I'm always, I'll always be there for you. And um, yeah, you're such a bright light. And thank you so much. I love you too. And thank the world of you. You've made my life infinitely better. So thank you for that. Thank you, my darling. Well, Tribe, you know, uh, I, there's so many things going through me right now. And I'm, I'm so I have so many emotions and, you know, so you see and understand the depth and the quality that Nina represents and who she is. And so you don't have this idea that every celebrity, every person out there in the world is just this shallow person who, who lives their life in Hollywood. There are real people out there who are there to make a difference. And it doesn't matter what titles you put on yourself or how many likes you have on Instagram and how many people you know. It's about the level of intimacy, authenticity, and love that you're bringing to planet Earth. And that's what makes you a real hero. That's what makes you a real leader. And that's how you build legacy. So please check out Nina. You can check her out at, at Nina on Instagram. You can also, you know, get involved in everything that she shared with us today. I mean, it's time for us to care for our people, not just the people of our color or the people who dress like us and look like us, but the people in, who are us, which is our race and our planet and the animals on our planet and everything that is of life. So remember, stay lit. Thank you for being the amazing you that you are. Remember, there's only one that exists and that's you. And invite to ignite. Remember, the more we invite people into the tribe for ancient wisdom today, the more we get to ignite their spirits and souls and set them free. I love you so much. And until next time, see you later, alligator. Bye.